Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and today a private view is coming to you from the Bridget Riley Studios. We're with Wilfred Wood. He has been making people smile one portrait at a time for most of his career. The son of an illustrator, a student at Central St. Martin's, and he worked on the British satirical television puppet show, Spitting Image making eyeballs and blinks. Walking into Wilfred Wood's studio is like walking through a museum of old friends. I've got John Waters and Caitlyn Jenner and Madonna. I think there's some politicians who I always forget. I think that's Georgia O'Keeffe, but it might be Louise Bourgeois. It's Louise Bourgeois. It's Louise Bourgeois. And here we have colors everywhere. There's a lot to talk about here, so I'm going to hand this right over to Wilfred to tell us who he is and what he does. Hello, I'm a, well, I call myself a portrait artist. I mainly portraits, although I do one or two other things sometimes. I use a lot of plasticine, which is obviously a kind of ephemeral children's material, but I also use papier-mâché and polymer clay uh, to make more permanent sculptures and I do portraits of people who come to me just to offer themselves up to be uh, to be a model and people commission me and all sorts of different portraits really. How did growing up with a father who was an artist affect you? Were you drawing from a young age? I suppose I was surrounded by art which is a massive case of pros and cons, I always think, in, in as much as it's in my blood, which is sort of a good thing. But on the other hand, my struggle for a lot of my life was finding my own voice, really, when you're surrounded by a lot of people, because my granddad, my grandma, my mum, everybody were artists. So it, uh, it took a lot to, uh, to find my own little voice and my own thing and my own niche in that uh, situation. That was my difficulty. And when did you find your voice? Was it as a student or before you applied to Central St. Martins? Or, and how is your voice different from your grandmother, your mother, your father? Uh, it happened much after all that. I, I struggled a lot at college and I didn't really know what I was doing. I think in some ways I did the wrong thing. Um, it was really, it was really just plugging away and trying to um, hone in on my enthusiasms and admit my enthusiasms to myself. I think that was, that's one of the things, that's a key thing, I think, for any artist. But it took me ages, it, it was in my sort of mid-30s, I should say, when I started to feel I was on the right track. So if you were to define what it is you like and what your voice is, and, and you were to write your own tagline, what is your voice? What, what do you like? I think primarily it's to do with people. And um, I did, because I did graphic design at college and I was an absolutely crap graphic designer. So it was a, a great re relief to give that up. But for some reason I felt I needed to do things where I could just be more practical and at a certain point, I felt I might as well be just, to being a graphic designer, just be, a, I was just a cog in a machine. And I'm, I'm a little bit of a show-off, or quite a lot of a show-off, my sister would probably say. And uh, I really wanted to do things that would move people a little bit, or affect them, or make them laugh, or just have some sort of impact on people. That's what I wanted to do. And that's what I didn't do as a graphic designer. So it was really... It was really the emotional kind of thrust of what I did 
came out best in, in portraits or what I wanted to do. So you're at Central St. Martin's and you're in graphic design and who's your peer group at the time? So this is the, the, the late 80s, early 90s. Well, it's just my, my fellow students who were illustrators upstairs, photographers, advertising people. So it was all that sort of world. A world I remember because I was on St. Martin's Lane too, working at the London Graphic Centre and Central St. Martin's, or Longacre, and Central yes. St. Martin's was on Longacre too. So you probably came in when I was working at London Graphic Centre to buy Letraset. Yeah, that's really funny. I definitely would have, and I was in the London Graphic Centre yesterday. So it's still there, still exists, and still very good. But the letter set doesn't. Absolutely not. No, I've just got fragments of my mum's letter set at home. But um, yeah, that was, it was lovely being in that area. Obviously now St Martin's is all, got, is all in the same place, rather than, I was at three different sites, right. uh, Longacre, Southampton Row, and Charing Cross Road, and there were all these eccentric sort of buildings which I think is good for art. You know, you want, you want a bit of, of, of weirdness and the little corners where you can do your own thing and make a mess and stuff like that. And now St. Martin's is so much like a sort of Google headquarters. But when I remember that time, I remember Damien Hirst was riding around on his bike. So was Vivian Westwood. There was a vibrancy to the whole London scene beginning to spark off with the YBAs. They weren't even called the YBAs at that time. Was that an influence on you as well? No, not at all, because I just didn't know that sort of thing was going on. I was very, I was very nervous of, of, of branching out or talking to people or, or, or um, I, I, I stuck to my own little zone, I think. And the people in the year above me started Freeze, the magazine, which then turned into the monolith that it is now. And so I knew that sort of thing was going a, a, a along, but I just felt it was nothing to do with me, even though in my heart, secretly, I wanted to be an artist. But it was, but I didn't allow myself to. You were born in London? I was born in London, but grew up in the countryside. Where in the countryside? In Sussex, near Tunbridge Wells. I know for a lot of people who grew up in a non-art family, the permission they need to let themselves be an artist is something they have to fight for. And, and still, their parents will always be saying, like, when are you going to get a real job? However, that shouldn't have happened to you. So where did that come from with you? Because you would have had permission to be an artist. I think that my, my parents were extremely nervous about me um, not... Me, me being an artist because they knew how precarious a, a profession it is. So yeah, I, they, I think they, were, they loved it when I went and worked in a publisher's, which was boring as hell for me, but it earned a living. You know, what, what parents often want, I think, is just, in a way, absolutely boring conformity for their children. It's how, there's some that, some parents will welcome anything, which is, which is amazing. But I think a lot of parents just long for their children to be stable, probably married, probably have kids and all the classic sort of uh, traditional. traditional things, um, which I don't blame them for. I'm sure I'd be exactly the same if I was a parent, but the, I think it was that really. But also, I mean, I can't, it's not, I don't entirely blame my parents. You know, I was deciding these things. They weren't forcing me to do any, any, one thing or the other. But there was that kind of nerves that probably entered into me. So 
it's taken a long time to 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 realize that it's well i've been lucky i've found a way to survive and be as much of an artist as i can so i, I would interpret your nerves transformed into this hypersensitivity to put other people at ease and that's why you have such a rapport with your sitters and i think if we talk about your work making people smile it also resonates on a bit of a deeper level we've talked about uh, the the relationship between your work and Alice Neal, certainly your painting, or your work and Nicholas Party or Alex Katz. There's something you do with the sitter that changes both of you. Well, that's um, the 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 artist and the sitter is a big subject, and I love all those artists you've just mentioned. I've just been, I've just had a Lucian Freud day. And because there's a massive show on at the National Gallery, obviously, and, and, and about 10 different shows on everywhere. And I was watching a video of him last night talking. And I can't, the thing with him is that I can't believe is how he got his sitters to even Lucian Freud. You know, the, the book, have you read the, the Man in the Blue with the Blue Scarf by someone called Martin Gayford, who's a, a journalist, writer, and he was painted by Lucian Freud. And basically, Obviously, it's the biggest honour and the most amazing thing to have been painted by him. But he goes there two or three times a week for about a year, going mad with it. And he says he gets to the point where he doesn't dare say anything to Lucian Freud in case, because as soon as he's as Lucian Freud, he gets on a subject, he puts down the paintbrush and it means the painting's going to take even longer. And at any point, Lucien Freud may just say it's not working and chuck the painting away, even after nine months or something. So, I mean, the, the main thing about thinking about him was his nerve, his steely determination to, to, to do a, a great work of art at all costs and bugger the, the person who's sitting there with pins and needles. Yeah pins and needles, bored as hell, whatever they are. So, I mean, I can only, my, my version of that is absolutely minnow child's tiny little two hour session. So I'm really quick. Um, I'm, I'm, people don't always like their portraits and I don't think I do flattering portraits, but any sort of um, uh, discomfort that my sitters might, face i think about lucian freud yesterday i thought you know i could i could actually be a little bit crueler and a bit tougher on my um yeah. on my sitters and it might do my work some good yeah, i mean i remember you saying that you like to sometimes do your friends and one of your friends was disappointed you didn't make him look sexier oh, and you yeah. said ultimately everybody wants to look sexy yes i mean flatter flattering your sitters is it's a sort of a temptation, but actually it's quite difficult. I find it difficult. It's difficult to flatter people. I'm not sure I could if I tried, really. Yes, nobody wants to look silly or getting older or f odd features, really. Very few people do. Although sometimes I've done, I've done portraits of people who are, ba who are basically either they've had facelifts or, they've, uh, or they're hugely overweight or or lots of things uh, and surprisingly they've been they've liked their portrait well, i mean some people just love attention almost of any sort 
I don't know. <laughs> Most people do. Yeah, maybe so do. although you were saying you, you don't flatter people, I would argue that because I think you do charm people with your charisma and that kind of, not to overuse the word quirky, but a quirky take on the way... Uh, the way they look, the resemblance is there, but nothing is realistic, which mm. is the point of art to show you something different, in yeah. my opinion, to make you think and feel differently. So I wondered if, if your work at Spitting Image affected what you do and how you moved forward with your career. It was just super good fun because I'd done this job in publishing where I'd learned how to work with people to a degree I was getting paid every day I was going to work I was getting up you know I couldn't be too stoned the night before I had to be relatively on it you know all those things it's good to know about um and then I just happened to know someone who knew someone who knew someone who worked at Spitting Image and they said they're looking for apprentices so I went there not really knowing anything at all about making stuff um, and they just got me to drill a few eyeballs and uh, make a few blinks and things like that, which was even that was more fun than doing the doing doing layouts of encyclopedias. Uh, and then it turned into making a few heads and a few animals and things like that. But it was it was really just the sort of atmosphere and the hilarity of having to make things very quickly that was during the week and suddenly there'd be a brand new news story and you'd have to m make something for the for that particular section of the program and then it was filmed on saturday went out on sunday Can so you remember some of the news stories there was one of them one one thing i made was radioactive fish there was a, a leak of radioactivity in the irish sea and i had to very quickly in about a morning make a whole load of sort of mutant fish so things like that were just great. And, and there, was, there was a lot of sort of camaraderie and quite a lot of drinking. And really, the, to sum it up, it made me realize it was possible to, to go to work, get paid for it and have fun. Up until that point, in my graphic design worthy studenty mindset, I thought you had to grind away at a boring job. I thought that was my lot and suddenly realized it didn't really have to be. How absolutely liberating to love going to work every day. And, and I have a friend who really cleverly told me this motto, that there's no amount of money that can buy a bad day back. So do something you like, because you'll never get paid enough to hate your life. It, it is an example of how something can happen that completely changes the direction of your life, one's life for the better. And I think sometimes when people sit for your portraits, you do that for them in some small way. And I say that because of the way you were talked about within our environment and very young people were completely taken with you. Um, so there's something in that for them as well to be able to, to laugh at yourself, especially in a time when everyone is so photographed and there's so many curated lives and, and beauty becomes a passport or a currency that you post on Instagram for self-esteem and you've sort of wiped that away and made things fun and, and laughable again. I know you work with a lot of offices and corporations as well as individuals. How do you know, what do you notice about people when, you, when you're making portraits of them? What I, one of the things I do is that I celebrate the things that people quite often don't like about themselves. So if somebody walks in through the front door with a massive, great big nose, 
I'm thinking terrific. And that has probably been the thing that they've been embarrassed about all their life. And whether that, you know, is quite, you know, if that really rubs off on them and they, from then on, they suddenly switch and they say, I'm so proud of my massive nose. I don't know. But I mean, I, I do. Th- you saying pretty girls were a real challenge. There was nothing interesting to do. Pretty girls are extremely dif- difficult. Although um, I've got to say mo- models in general are so much more interesting looking now than they were when I was a kid. Like it was sort of a Cindy, what's she called? Cindy Crawford. Cindy Crawford. Yeah. The body. Yeah. Cindy, the body Crawford, Pete, girls like that, who are basically, obviously beautiful, but 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 also boring. And now models are all sorts. And I drew, there's a girl I drew quite recently who had, she's a model, fashion model. She looked fantastic. She had massive sticking out ears. I saw it. Yeah, I and I, I said to her, um, it was great. first of all, because sometimes it's it's good to, I feel I have to say the thing. If there's a really obvious thing about someone, like I drew this this very spotty guy who, who was in his 30s, not an adolescent, but he was, I think he had rosacea or something like that where you have like extreme acne. And and he sat for me and I, I said, okay, first of all, I've just got to say this. Obviously, you've got a lot of spots. They're going to be in the picture, okay? And he said, of course. Why I don't? Do you think I'm unaware of it? And I was like, oh, God, and I felt such a dope for, for saying it. But nevertheless, I, it, then it sort of cleared the air. And the same thing with this girl who had massive sticking out ears. She said, of course I know I've got massive sticking out ears. It's made my fortune. My parents wanted to pin them back. My grandparents were going to pay for it. I got teased at school. And now I've got the last laugh sort of thing. So, um, so there is a type of politics in it. I mean, the aesthetic that you present is the one that is popular and if, if we only present symmetry and alignment then we're conditioning people to see beauty in one way we are but i do think that the that the world of so-called beauty whatever that means is much more open these days actually to, compared to what it was i think that you know you get the most the most strange like uh this 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 guy that i draw a lot from poland basically is pretty odd looking he's got a massive nose <laughs> sorry to go on about noses and uh he he's uh he's an ex gucci model yeah. i mean they choose they choose the most outlandish looking people but um the it's director just resigned yesterday from gucci oh, but he yeah. did a marvelous job right yeah i mean the one the one thing that still is almost de rigueur is being extremely thin that's another subject uh, so what influences your work culturally, artistically, who shaped you and how do you approach your work? We've kind of gone over a, a lot of that, but is there anything that you'd like to talk about that we haven't gone over? And we talked about Ron Merck. Yes. Well, that that was just a lovely thing in that his daughter, who I know, Carmen, who I know well now, um, she liked my work. She sent it to Ron and Ron liked it. Uh, which was very, very nice. And he bought something. And um, I said to him, can I come, can I deliver it to you? Basically, as an excuse just to have a snoop. And he said, yes, of course you can, of course you can, but it's, I'm on the Isle of Wight. So anyway, I went to the Isle of Wight thinking that, that he'd be in his studio with about 10 helpers or, uh, you know, a great big operation. And he walks down the stairs on his own, is absolutely self-deprecating to an almost ludicrous extent is is overflowing with praise for my work and it's it it's 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 almost a bit too much but it's very very sweet 
And he's just the most lovely, straightforward, interesting, dedicated guy and does extraordinary sculptures, which it, he he's very interesting to me, partly, well, mainly because he started off at, um, at Henson's, a bit similar to me at Spitting Image. There's a lot of, there's Madame Two Swords, there's Henson's and the Spitting Image, or there was back in the day. And they had a lot of sort of crossover things, but he was at Henson's and then he was just discovered from the, you know, via Paul Arago. It's a long story, which I won't go into. And was, and was celebrated for his, for his sculptures, is very celebrated for his sculptures now. But I don't think he also started off or thought of himself as, as a, a mover and a shaker in the fine art world. Yeah, there's a lot of similarities between the two of you. There is a bit. I mean, I, I, I hesitate because I'm obviously so much more sort of, um, you know, speedy and, and satirical and jokey in my work. And his has got such resonance and it's got such incredible dedication and care, which isn't really quite how I work. <laughs> I'm much more slapdash. But um, we did have that sort of a bond. And I think... What I admire in his, uh, you know, obviously haunting work, it, uh, he admired in my slapdashness an ability to do whatever I like. But because I'm not really a name in the, in the fine art world, I can do what I like and it doesn't really matter. But as soon as someone's a big name and they're, char you know, they're getting a lot of money for their work, there's all sorts of pressure on them to keep doing the same thing that they're doing and that's really tough okay so i know that you have work coming up in a group show at, at maddox gallery called funny ha ha tell me a little more well um this a, it's a choice isn't it i mean either you you, you my work stays on, on it can either stay on the shelf and people could see it on, on instagram or I can be introduced to a new audience. They can see the things physically in reality on a plinth or a shelf, which is really nice, especially when it's sculpture, because that's how it exists. It isn't all a, 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 a two inch square screen on your phone. Um, so I thought I'd just take the plunge and it, I was flattered to be asked. And it's there's the, the maybe, well, possibly Harry Hill and, uh, um, Vic Reeves and people like that, and some some artist artists uh, that I like in the show. So I thought oh, I'll just give it a try. I just want to talk to you a bit about what you are going to do next and what you're working on after this show. Last year I had a show of pastel portraits in Peckham, uh, which I think went down quite well. Um, but I, you know, I feel I've I've I'm still doing them occasionally, but I'm also doing watercolors. Um, I've done a few acrylics. I'm, I'm doing pastels again, but in a different sort of way. So it's really just trying to ring the changes. I've also been trying to do some landscapes, um, which obviously is, is a completely different thing, but it's, uh, is there a humorous element to that? Like no, that? not really, not at all. I love other people's landscapes and I just thought, um, I'm just, why not? Yeah, it's not, not? yeah, uh, we, but really what I'm doing is trees much more. Every landscape has got a massive, great big tree in it. And I did start to think trees have got characters a bit like people. You get young, whippy ones and old, 
grungy ones and you can ones with a half a branch falling off. So, you, you know, trees are uh, a nice sort of parallel with people to a degree. So I just want to branch out a bit. And, and actually, the other thing I really want to do is the classic oil painting, which I'm scared of. Um, but I, I think I might just plunge into that. Why not? Uh, if I were to ask you a philosophical question, mm. like what is art for? How would you answer it? I think it, it, it's, it's a sort of, it's a sort of sometimes clarified, heightened version of a chaotic world. You know, it's trying to make sense of, of a world that really is confusing. You know, like a, you could say the same for stories. And of course, you want to be moved by it. I mean, if I go on, I'll just go on and on with this answer to, to saying all the things. Well, that that anyone would say about art, you know, I'd love I, I, I often if I was born again, I'd be a musician. I'd love to I, I'd love to make people cry with my work. And I've never succeeded in that apart from once I, I drew someone. I drew a middle aged woman who was getting divorced. And uh, she talked a lot about her divorce as I was drawing her. And, you know, she was having a very tough time. And I, and I said, oh, right, blah, 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 blah. I finished the drawing, showed it to her, and she just burst into tears. And it was, it was quite awful in a way. But it, she, it was kind, I think it was kind of tears of recognition in a way. But anyway, that's my one example of making someone cry. But possibly but um you know i'd like i want to move people or amuse people or get a reaction uh, but the the there's ultimately with an artist there's a relatively selfish point is which is one owns one one's own fulfillment entertainment and attention that it that it gets i don't it, it's i don't do i'm not an artist for any very sort of philanthropic reasons really i'm not there to help people well, i saw something you did for the medical community and it looked like it was very much about helping people oh good well um literacy? yeah for the, the literacy literacy campaign but it was also a job and i was interested and pleased to do it fundamentally for for, for me um but yes i don't want doing portraits is a is a sensitive thing i don't want to upset people overtly or, or gratuitously, I should say, really. Maybe it gives it gives people another sort of uh, angle on themselves from a... They, the people so often, the classic response is, oh, so that's how you see me. So, you know, I suppose it's, it's like looking in a sort of distorting mirror, something like that. If, uh, if I could wave a wand and you could have any piece of art as your own, what would you pick and why? Well, I've I've long loved self-taught art, outsider art. I used to work for a magazine called Raw Vision, and um, I always I, I I used to go to America and visit outsider artists. And there's one guy I visited called Volis Simpson in South Carolina, I think, and uh, he had a huge. He made these enormous windmills that were covered in bicycle reflectors, and I. And he had a huge workshop that, that I remember walking into it and thinking this is the most magical place I've ever been to. And I would love one of his huge windmills. But they're, they're about 30, 40 feet tall and they turn very slowly in the wind and they've got all sorts of decorations and, 
animals and horses and things all over them and that you're as if, if you go towards them in the evening with the lights of your car up they're all reflecting with bits of bike reflectors and uh signs road signs that are, 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 are reflecting the light and it is the most incredibly magical and touching sight so i'd say i want one of those massive windmills wilford woods thank you will you tell people where they can find you well, uh, on Instagram is the easiest way to find my work. So I'm called Wilfred, and that's with an I at the end. So it's W-I-L-F-R-I-D, Wood Sculptor. That's what I'm uh, called on Instagram. And of course, come to Maddox Gallery later this month to see Funny Ha Ha. Wilfred's work will be included in it, and I believe you'll be at the opening. Certainly will. You've been listening to Maeve Doyle's Private View. This podcast is produced by Will Fitzpatrick at Soho Radio. The music is by Korshid Homi. Thank you for listening. 